You're listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Washington, D.C. office. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Beltway Beef. Today, we're going to have a deep dive into the infrastructure bill. And joining us today, we've got Danielle Beck and Allison Rivera. Danielle and Allison are both on the executive director team here at NCBA Danielle handles uh, the tax side of things, and then Allison handles our animal health and infrastructure team. So both have been quite busy uh, as this bill is moving through. But first, can we just talk a little bit about why this bill is something that is so important to us? Allison, why is infrastructure something that we care about and something that our farmers and ranchers care about? Well, that's a, a really great Great question, Ashley. And I think when we think about, um, you know, we have the best producers in the world. And, and I think an important piece of agriculture in this country is the ability to move those products to market, right? And that, you know, this is uh, this is the brass tacks of needing um, good roads and bridges to move product. Uh, we've got a lot of cattle that move on the roads every day, and we've got to get them moved. And in that same vein, when we talk about infrastructure, we have to talk about rural broadband and the need to be able to, uh, for our producers to run their small businesses and, and to have that speed of of connectivity for the the speed of commerce as it is in this country. So, you know, what we're looking at here with this infrastructure package really provides some of those resources that continue to be uh, of the most importance to our producers, getting product moved, getting, you know, cattle moved to plants, and then uh, from the plants onto those grocery store shelves for the American consumer. So talking about the bills specifically, uh, we've seen a lot of movement uh, recently in both the Senate and the House. So in the Senate, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we saw a bill get passed through and then also a budget resolution get passed through. And then we're recording this on a Wednesday, Tuesday night. Uh, the House moved on a bending plan and then also agreed to set a date uh, to vote on the bill. Um, so this is a pretty convoluted, um, you know, intricate process that we're going through right now. So Danielle and Allison, can you just walk us through the bills and then also walk us through what's happening on the budget reconciliation side? Ashley, it's Danielle. I can jump in here. Um, you know, this process is probably as wonky as it gets here in Washington, D.C. So taking a couple steps back, it's important for our producers to remember, you know, right at the beginning, President Biden said that passing an infrastructure plan was at the top of his agenda, and he separated those two plans out, one into the American Jobs Plan and one into the American Families Plan. Uh, they're fourth identified as the hard infrastructure and the human infrastructure, uh, both of which I think are core components of his overall infrastructure agenda. Uh, so the Senate passed a, a, a service transportation bill and moved over to the House. At the same time, they passed a budget resolution, which will allow both chambers to begin the process of reconciliation, which will effectively allow them to move something on human infrastructure without having to uh, bypass a filibuster in the Senate. And so, again, last night, uh, the House passed a budget resolution, which is the next step in the process of writing a budget reconciliation bill. So now the House and Senate committees with reconciliation 
instructions can begin marking up their bills. All of the committees have until September 15th to report their portions of the reconciliation bill to the respective budget committees in the House and the Senate. There's no penalty in the House for missing the reporting deadline, but uh, you know we're hearing that the committees in the House certainly, as well as in the Senate, I think, are uh, moving really quickly on uh, drafting legislation and figuring out uh, exactly how they want to pay for all of these critical, you know, human infrastructure proposals. Revenue provisions will be marked up last. I think that's the hardest component of this process. Uh, while the Senate, it's important to note, they're not expected to mark up uh, reconciliation bills since they're evenly divided and a tie vote would fail. And so the early reporting deadline for Senate committees is intentional. Once that deadline passes, the majority leader can bring a budget resolution directly to the Senate floor, completely bypassing the committees. And so in that type of scenario, when the committees are bypassed, floor amendments to the budget reconciliation bill can be on any subject in a committee's jurisdiction for purposes of germaneness, which will make for an even more colorful votorama. Uh, and it's expected that the Senate will amend a House reconciliation bill with a complete substitute. If any of that sounds like Mandarin, uh, that's because we speak a different language here in Washington, D.C. Uh, that sometimes I have trouble wrapping my brain around. But basically, um, what all of that means is that it's going to be a really busy September and a couple weeks between now and September. That seems like one of the most complicated processes uh, that could possibly <laughs> exist, Danielle. <laughs> Well, Allison, do you have anything to add about, you know, the bill specifically and, and what you've been doing on that side to make sure that priorities for NCBA uh, were included in the bill and, and specifically talking on the Senate side here? Absolutely, Ashley. And I will say just kind of to piggyback off of uh, what Danielle uh, shared, you know, what we have thus far is a September 27th hopeful vote on this uh, infrastructure package as it deals with uh, roads and bridges. And in that package that we we have uh, watched carefully, helped to craft uh, from the, the very beginning uh, through the Senate Commerce Committee in particular. Um, we have been able to maintain language that was included in that uh, Senate Commerce package at the beginning, this back-end 150 air mile exemption for livestock producers. If we get it across the finish line, this will be a, a huge undertaking, a huge endeavor, a huge win, if you will, changing hours of service and providing flexibility with hours of service has been something that our members have been asking for for, for more than five years. Uh, and, and five years is simply my time at NCBA, but I'm sure they've been talking about it well before then. But, you know, this is, it, it's not easy to make changes to hours of service. There, there's a lot of groups out there that, that never want to see changes to it. Um, and so when we went to DOT and asked for changes, you know, they, they definitely pushed back and we looked at Congress and said, we've got to get something done. So getting that back end 150 air mile exemption Another 172 road miles uh, for livestock haulers is huge. On top of that, you know, this bill has 65 billion for broadband. Uh, already alluded to that. It's it's just so important that we provide the resources to USDA rural development and other agencies that are going to make sure that broadband connectivity gets out to our members, that we get to that last mile. So we're going to stay on top of that. Uh, once this bill, you know, hopefully gets to the president's desk, we're going to make sure that that money gets spent in a way that 
provides that service for our producers. And something that we haven't talked a ton about, but we need to probably be talking about a little bit more is the um, the pieces in this in this infrastructure package that uh, that are going to help our producers out west. Uh, water infrastructure issues, some uh, some permitting issues that we've got out west, just to make sure that our producers can get to the water that they need to, that they can uh, they can use the water in the way that they need to. And so I think there's a, a lot of uh, a lot of good things in this bill in that water infrastructure space. We know that we have our historic drought out west, uh, and we want to make sure that we're making investments in our water infrastructure, particularly in the west, um, to make sure that those producers have what they need. So just really, really pleased to see uh, multiple pieces that benefit our producers in this infrastructure package. And getting those things included in the infrastructure package didn't, you know, come by luck or or by happenstance. It it was a lot of hard work on your end. Can you walk through, Allison, specifically how you've had relationships with folks on the Hill to make sure that our priorities are included and, and what those conversations look like? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, shout out to Chairwoman Cantwell, um, Ranking Member Wicker, Senators Fisher and Tester on helping us to get that back end 150 in the commerce package, which was really the, you know, a little bit of the starting point uh, to to get where we are now. Um, This language was part of a larger package called the Halls Act that we have worked with members of Congress, both on the House and Senate side over the last probably three Congresses, introducing language that, again, the the overall goal is to provide flexibility and hours of service. So, um, you know, as Congress does, they took uh, a larger bill and they took the the piece out that everyone could agree on. And that was the back end 150 for livestock haulers only. Just as a reminder to our members, we already have 150 air mile exemption on the front end of hauls, but that's for anyone hauling ag commodities. So this extra 150 on the to the destination of a haul um, is only for livestock haulers. So we really did take a larger package and these members, Republicans and Democrats, came together and compromised and our producers uh, are, are certainly going to be the ones that benefit from that language. And, you know, the relationships that we build, you know, we just continue to, we've continued to talk about hours of service flexibility needs. We have been pounding the pavement and you know, we continue to talk about it to the point where I, I think a lot of these members said, we know that we need to give uh, livestock callers some relief. Um, maybe they don't want to hear me talking about it anymore. I don't know. Um, but they definitely um, came up with this compromise and we're, we're very pleased to see it. Well, thanks, Allison. And both of you touched on it earlier, but this is kind of a double-edged sword because we certainly have priorities that we want included. And Danielle, I think you said it earlier, But one of our priorities here is to make sure that those things in the bill aren't being paid for on the backs of farmers and ranchers. So we have been really tuned in to uh, federal tax policy and what folks on the Hill are considering doing to that um, as, you know, pay fors or as a funding source for this bill. So, Danielle, can you just unpack all of that for us? And I know it's a lot. (laughs) Oh, I, I appreciate that, Ashley. It's a good question because I think it, it is really a complex process, but they sort of have they've done us a favor um, by bifurcating human infrastructure from hard infrastructure. The surface transportation bill that Allison just referenced, where there are so many different beneficial provisions that she's worked so hard to secure, uh, you know, that proposal is not paid for by 
any portion of the tax code that will impact beef cattle producers here in the United States. And that's a really good thing. That makes it an easy proposal for us to support. Uh, on the other hand, this human infrastructure uh, proposal that's going to be coming together, but does not yet sort of exist on paper other than in the form of a budget resolution, uh, we know that it's going to be $3.5 trillion in spending, which is going to require about $1.8 trillion in tax hikes. And so because they're bifurcated, we've been able to separate the conversations and that that makes it a little bit easier in Capitol Hill. But, um, you know, I would say that in spite of the fact that there was a really positive vote in the Senate when they were voting on the budget resolution on an amendment that basically ensured septic basis wouldn't serve as a pay for, uh, that was non-binding. And, uh, you know, it was an effort driven by Senator Thune, but it secured 99 votes in support. And that sort of, to me, indicates that the Senate's really looking to the House to be the bad guys. We know that there have been a lot of issues in the House getting the budget resolution across the finish line. There are folks who are calling for both bills to be voted on together and others saying don't hold surface transportation hostage by something we're not sure we can support. And so, you know, hopefully the path forward will be clear and concise and successful on hard infrastructure. Uh, on human infrastructure, you know, I think there's a lot of good that could be accomplished, but certainly not if those pay-fors eliminate uh, long-standing provisions in the tax code like stepped-up basis or like kind exchanges or, you know, a, a hike in the capital gains tax rate that really would be um, devastating for a, a lot of our membership. What are some of the things that NCBA specifically has done? And then what are things that we've done working with other ag or rural groups here in, in D.C. Or, or even through our affiliate? NCBA has been leading a uh, call to action campaign since March, I think, at this point, uh, asking all of our producer membership to engage with their members of Congress directly. We have a letter tilted up for our producers to use at policy.ncba.org. Uh, if you are listening and you haven't weighed in with your member of Congress yet, uh, that is the simplest way for you to do so. So I encourage you, please, again, visit policy.ncba.org and, and engage with your member of Congress, but we have also, uh, we've got a new podcast called Tax Talks. It's a podcast within a podcast focused on our hill-facing audiences, uh, highlighting producer impact stories, because ultimately, you know, all politics is local. And, you know, I think oftentimes when we talk about some of the impacts here, it's really easy to feel a couple degrees removed when it's all theoretical. But when there are actual producers with names and faces and you know, families in your district who also have businesses and make an economic impact, you know, that really does resonate with the folks on Capitol Hill. And so we've seen a, a good bit of feedback and some really great success with that. We've also uh, helped our, our state affiliates with letters uh, for state level ag groups to send to their congressional delegations, because again, all politics is local. And then uh, we serve on the steering committee of the Family Business Estate Tax Coalition, and we co-lead uh, a tax Aggie coalition here in D.C. And we've been very engaged through those groups. And that's all in addition to, you know, pretty consistent Hill meetings and briefings uh, for about what, six months now. Um, but we, you know, we've been talking about these issues for quite a bit longer. Um, six months, I think, has really been the starting point uh, dating back to when the president released his uh, first infrastructure proposal. Well, thanks, Danielle. Certainly sounds like there are lots of ways to get involved in our campaigns and, and make sure that 
your voice is being heard to your elected official. Is there anything else folks can be doing if they want to make sure that their concerns are known? I would say that the best thing any producer can do is to reach out directly to their member of Congress. Uh, you know, if you want to tailor or customize that letter we have for you, great, please do so. But also don't hesitate to pick up the phone. Um you know, call your congressional representative, particularly if that member of Congress is a Democrat, um, because right now Democrats hold the majority in both chambers and they're really going to be the decision makers here. And they need to know they need to hear from their constituents about what the priorities are, because ultimately they are rep- elected to represent their hometowns, their home states, their districts. So uh, they, they need to be hearing from folks. And Ashley, if I could jump in there as well, you know, these members, uh, while the, the House came in the last couple of days, came back to D.C. Um, to move forward with these two packages, uh, these these members of Congress are back home. They are in our members' backyards. They are going to events. This is the best time to to grab them at that state fair uh, or to, to grab them uh, out <laughs> wherever they see them. Them and uh, have a conversation about these things, have a face-to-face chat about uh, how they feel about these issues. And I hear everybody in the NCBA office, especially in D.C., say it probably every single day. The best tool for advocacy and the best tool to represent farmers and ranchers is actually farmers and ranchers telling their stories. So, you know, thank you so much for all of the hard work that you've done on this and uh, just continue to encourage uh, folks that are listening to this and NCBA members or farmers and ranchers in general to get involved and, and reach out to folks here at NCBA if you're interested in getting involved in any of our campaigns. But Danielle, Allison, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This has been another episode of Beltway Beef. Don't forget to check us out online at policy.ncba.org or catch the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, including SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts.